Jeff, we are here. It is Friday. We waited until today so that we could include the pro day discussion in our episode. So that is that is the reason for the delay. We did. And also it's lunchtime. You might hear some chewing in this episode, maybe some slurping. Oh yeah. We- I, I had to go to the circle K to get my sipping safe. Have we yeah. talked about that yet? No, but I I mean I assume that it's me going to the Chevron to get my 44. It's kind of the yeah. same idea. Well, yes, except for Circle K's in Arizona for $5.99 a month, you can get a drink every single day. It's a subscription. This is, this is interesting because you pay six bucks a month. I go get a drink five days a week. I pay a dollar, but I get a free one for every fifth. So you're still saving money. So you're paying four bucks a week and I'm I pay four bucks. bucks a week and you pay right. six months. So, and I got a 44 They The Circle K has now come out with a 64 ounce cup, but I love America. It doesn't fit in the cup holder in my car. Mm. And the first time I got one of those, uh, my wife said, that's disgusting. Do you have a son of that big? Please don't get no. that one. No, but it's so, not disgusting. But it's they do, American. They do have uh, the Circle K here. They have like Powerade, like two different flavors of Powerade Zero on the tap now. So if you do want to feel slightly more healthy, you can just get that. But then they have recently also added, because we are close to Mexico, Jaritos sodas ah, in the fountains. So you, go. you can get a 64-ounce drink every single day for $5.99. And if you buy the 64-ounce cup, it's like a buck fifty. So it's basically like after a week, it pays for itself. Yeah, that's not bad. Um, I'm eating lunch. I'm eating a Wendy's spicy chicken sandwich, and I've learned Wendy's spicy chicken sandwiches are my comfort food. So here's, let's have a talk. Let's have a real conversation about mental health. Hold on, let me swallow. Okay, let's have a real conversation about mental health. I, at the beginning of this pandemic, I got crazy stressed out, a lot of anxiety, and I ended up on anti-anxiety pills. I can't remember, antidepressant, anti-anxiety, but I don't know. There's a difference, but I don't know what it is. I don't really know which one I'm on. I am trying to get off of them, not because I have anything wrong, you know, but I, just, I would like to see if I could get back to normal now that we're coming out of the pandemic a little bit. I'd like to see if I could recenter and not need the help. If I need the help, I need the help, whatever. If you need help, please go get it. As the wise, wise Pete Davidson once told Kanye West, there's no shame in the medicine game. If you need the meds, take them. Just take them. That's where I'm at. So I'm trying to see if I need them or not. Anyway, what I have learned in this process as I'm trying to wean off of this medication is when I get anxious, I turn to Wendy's spicy chicken sandwiches as the food that pushes me through whatever that like It's not panic attacks, but like, it's like a pre-panic attack. I could feel it coming. I eat a Wendy's spicy chicken and and suddenly I'm, I'm centered again and I'm back home. Wendy's spicy chicken sandwiches might be my new Xanax. It's it's, okay. I mean, it feels great. Yeah. I can't, uh, I can't deny it. Right. I can't say that there's anything, you know, wrong with that. The, everyone has their thing. I, I mean, I think mine is a uh, 80-20 Diet Mountain Dew with the Goji Strawberry Mountain Dew. Ooh, I used to like to do that. You know what my favorite mixed drink combo is? Is 
mostly it's probably 80 20 coke zero and then a little bit of root beer at the end coke zero and root beer yeah it gives your mm. coke zero just enough vanilla flavor that it's not overpowering like coke zero with vanilla but it's like this subtle like aftertaste of coke zero oh a little vanilla interesting yeah it's, i, I, it's I will try that tomorrow and we'll return and report it's phenomenal uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we had a show. Last week's show was a recruiting episode with, uh, oh, I don't even remember who was on. Oh, Jackson Bowers. Great guy. Yeah. Jackson Bowers. I love Walker Lyons. I love CJ Jacobs. All of these guys are good. If BYU gets any one of these tight ends, they're in very, very good shape. Jackson Bowers, I don't know. If you ask, depending on the day you ask me, I, I would go Walker Lyons or Jackson Bowers. Those are like tight ends 1A and 1B for me. Jackson Bowers has some psycho to him, though, that I really love. Like, that dude wants to kill people. And it's like the throwback tight end, right? Like, if Jackson Bowers comes to BYU, I'm 99% sure, based on nothing that he has told me and purely my own mental thoughts, he's going to wear a big Chad Lewis-like neck roll. That's the kind of tight end he is. I hope he does. He's a little psycho, so I like that. Walker Lyons is going to, you know, go Dennis Pitta and score a bunch of uh, touchdowns. But Jackson, that was fun to have him on. He's got a little psycho to him. Uh, but we're back now. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been together. It, it really has only been a couple of weeks, ladies and gentlemen. And I want you guys to know, Garrett's beard is so long, and I haven't seen him for two weeks. That's all, two weeks. If he went one month without shaving, he would look like, Leonardo DiCaprio from The Revenant. <laughs> Actually, uh, that, that's, a, that's what in the business we call foreshadowing. I don't know if you've looked at the agenda I put together for you. We're going to talk about Leo DiCaprio a lot in a little bit. Oh, yeah, I did see that you put that on there, but I yeah. have not. Yeah, so that was some foreshadowing. But that's what you look like is you got a little Revenant to you. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I have not shaved since it was like December 30th. I shaved, shaved and said, you know, I'm just going to see how far into 2022 I can let this thing roll. So I have not, I mean, I've trimmed my mustache off my lip just so it doesn't get in the way when I'm eating, but the, that's it. Like I have not, I have not touched anything since then. I, I wish I could grow it as thick as you do. Like on one hand that sucks. Cause you, you know, when you do want to shave, you got a little bit more work to do, but when I let my beard grow as long as yours is, I just look homeless. Like I, it's just wispy. It's curly. And you can like start to see the little bald spots that I have. Like they're a little bit more evident. You'd think they'd cover up as it gets longer, but it doesn't because it's not thick enough. It's bad. So I'm sorry. I mean, it's, it is a blessing and a curse to have, because it, it does in the, I don't know if we'll make it through the summer because it gets hot. Like you don't realize just how in the summer, I don't know if you've ever like gone a long time and then like you buzz your head in the summer, like you can, there's a palpable difference and you can feel it both on your face and on your head. Right. Just when you, yeah. if, if you go real short, it just, it's, you know, it just feels nice. It does. I get it. I trimmed my chest hair. I mean, we're getting weird now, but I, I trimmed my chest hair. I bought one. I bought a manscaped razor. Because the commercials. Yeah. Like they finally got me the lawnmower, right? Like it finally, after like three years of seeing these everywhere I go, 
they finally got me. And one, the reason I bought it is because the ceramic blades, they don't cut you. Like it's skin safe is what they what they say. And I needed that for my head because I shaved my head, you know, once or it's it's about once a week, maybe once every 10 days I shave my head. And I don't want to go full bald. So I don't like want like a like a shaver. Right. That's going to like bick everything. I leave just a little bit of hair like what's there. And when I would go in with like a regular like a haircutting pair of clippers, it would it would nick you occasionally if you're not careful. With the Manscaped ceramic blade lawnmower, I just go. I don't even have to think about it. And I wanted to test it out. So, yeah, I shaved my chest too. One, it was wonderful. Two, much cooler. Much, much cooler. And my chest does not look like your face, but still felt the temperature difference. You know, it's, I'm at the point where I need to obviously, like, my arms are so hairy. One time, my, one of my nephews said I look, he was like six or seven at the time, said I looked like a monkey person because my arms were so hairy. Ouch. That hurts. It's, I still think about that. It's brutal. But we do have an agenda. Today was pro day. Um, and the only notable things, Samson ran a 448. So it was good under, for him. He had a good day. Um, I haven't actually, let me see NFL. I mean, receivers are so fast anymore. Like there were four twos at the combine. Right. Um, yeah. So look he's at... still like middle of the pack, but a four, four, eight, what that number is, is that's a, that's the difference between a training camp invitation and an undrafted free agent contract. He still has work to make the team still probably isn't going to get drafted but he'll secure a little bit more money. He's not just going to show up to training camp and then get cut after, you know, the first two weeks, he will have like the mini camp invite, the mini camp invite. That's the one he'll actually make it into training camp, work with the roster, work with the guys that are going to be on the roster and have a shot. Like that's what a four, four, eight did for him. Yep. So that would still be top 20 for, I mean, it would be around 20th for the wide receivers, but I mean, yeah, when you look at it, it's like cake, Chris Olave ran four three nine. Garrett Wilson ran a four three eight. Calvin Austin the third ran a four three two. Tyquan Thornton from Baylor was the fastest wide receiver. He ran a four two eight. But in the range of four four eight is like George Pickens from Georgia. Uh, Wandell Robinson was four four four. Jalen Naylor was a four five from Michigan State. Uh, Khalil Shakir was in that ballpark too. So it's, you can probably add a few tenths of a second pro day numbers. Like we look out for our guys. Oh yeah. Well, four, four, eight is probably like a four, five, two. Well, unless you're Tyler Algier. So that was, yeah. I, I, he, I'm, I'm very like annoyed by this. Cause this wasn't just some like internet rumor. Okay. It happened. It was real. Tyler Algier went on sports nation. And Jeremy and Spencer asked about and were like, hey, we heard that at the simulated pro day thing, you ran a 439 using the same equipment that they set up for, you know, the actual pro day the day before. Is that real? And he was like, uh, yeah. So it was like he went on record saying that. So I had zero reason to believe that he was lying. But now these like simulated pro day things. Maybe it was a 35-yard dash instead of a 40-yard dash. I don't know. That's a a big difference. Because it was a huge difference. He decided not to run today because he ran his 4.6 and it was kind of like, it didn't 
didn't think it was going to, he didn't think he could do faster or didn't think it was going to help at all. Right. And it, it, and it's kind of in a weird spot too, because it's like, if he goes out and does run a four, four, it's like, then what were you doing at the combine? Like it, he can't win by running faster. Cause it's like, maybe he does like a four five, five, but then that's not a big enough difference to move the needle. And if it does move the needle, then it comes back into questioning. Like, well, were you not focused? Were you late? Like, then you come into like the intangibles of why did you run so slow the first time? And is it just cause you cracked under pressure because that's not a good sign, right? Like that's not something you want to draft. And so it, it's like there, he had no reason to run today. So he didn't run, but the, and, the and force, a four, six is just fine. Like, here's the thing. It was disappointing because of everything you just said. Because BYU fans, because of BYU, I don't even want to say Tyler Algier. Tyler Algier believed he ran a 4.39. Like, this is not his fault for confirming what BYU told him. This is, uh, <clears throat> whether it was BYU's equipment, whether it was somebody with a little bit fast on the trigger, I, I don't know what it was. But, but BYU told him he ran a 4.39. Because of that, the four six felt a little bit disappointing. However, he is four two or he what is he two hundred twenty five pounds? I I've been on this rant a bunch. the The new SL what what is his name? I don't know his name. The new Tribune beat guy seems like a nice kid. He's probably uh, going to do great. Yeah, but welcome to give him hell, Brigham guy. Like we're going to call you out for dumb things and and. He went on the radio and said that Algier hurt his draft stock. No, Algier didn't do a damn thing to his draft stock. There is not a single person outside of BYU fans who heard the BYU Sports Nation interview. There is not a single person who watched Tyler Algier play and thought, oh, that's 4-3 speed. Nobody thought that. There's not an NFL scout in the world who is basing their evaluation of, of Tyler Algier on a four or three speed, not one, not one. Everybody looks at Algier as an incredibly patient runner who has excellent vision, who has the ability to run somebody over yards after contact. And he's got good enough speed. He ran away from some people. Like everybody remembers that Boise state run. Uh, he ran away for some, for some people like that's great. He has the speed to do that. But he also got caught from behind. Like, let's not get carried away here. And, and, and I don't think BYU fans, I don't think we've seen 4-3 speed enough to really appreciate how much faster that is. He was, he was, when, when Algier would run away from people, he wasn't separating himself from people. He just wasn't getting caught. But he was not that, uh, I'm trying to think what his name was at Baylor this year, the, the running back, the faster one, they had the two. Anyway, he, he would pull away from people when he ran, he created distance. When, when, when Britton Covey was running at, at Tempio, I watched his highlights just yesterday. He would separate himself from people who were chasing him. Right. Like that's the difference between four, four six and four, three. Now that's not the Britton Covey's a four, three. And I have no idea what this other guy from Baylor is, but Algier wasn't, separating himself from people. He just wasn't getting caught. Right. And so looking at this, and if you look at the actual, I'm looking at the combine results right now, looking for the running backs, uh, Pierre strong, the running back from South Dakota state was the fastest at four, three, seven. And Tyler Algier was one two. Tyler Algier was the third slowest. There were three guys that ran a four, six, and then there were two guys slower. The slowest person at the combine was a, 
running back at the combine was Kyron Williams from Notre Dame ran a four, six, five. Okay. Tyler Algier ran a four, six. So did sincere McCormick and Ronnie rivers from Fresno state also ran in. But if you look at the other name, okay. So he's right by Kennedy Brooks, uh, you know, the, the running back from Oklahoma, but he weighs 209 pounds. Okay. Uh, sincere McCormick, he weighs like two Oh, he weighed like two Oh eight. You got Jalen Warren from, you know, Salt Lake city kid, right. He from Oklahoma state, he ran a four, five, five, but he weighs 20 pounds less than Algeria. So he only weighed in at two Oh four. So it's running back is weird because more so than any other position, your weight makes such a big difference in your 40 time. Because even if you look at, you know, like James Cook and Zamir white from Georgia, they both weigh like 200 pounds. And so it's, you can have, you have guys like, uh, I mean, who I'm trying to, you have guys like Tyreek Hill and Derek Henry technically play the same position. That doesn't happen at other positions where you have such a drastic difference in playing style that you are still lumped together. And so when you, you, like you say, you have to look at the playing style, you have to look at their weight. And I really don't think he didn't help his stock at all, but he didn't hurt it. Like he had he come out and actually run a four, four, people would be like, he would have jumped way up the boards. And that would have been similar to like Brady Christensen's pro day performance last year. And, but where he was, was like, okay, this is what we expected, right? That's we exactly expect right. you to be toward in the bottom half of forties because you are one of the biggest backs there. There's not a lot of bulky backs in the class this year, even like I'm trying to think of another good back on this list. Uh, Jerome Ford, the running back from Cincinnati, great, great player, ran a four four six. He's list, he's listed at two ten. He weighs fifteen pounds lighter. If Algier dropped fifteen pounds, could he shave a tenth off of his forty time easily? But that's not, you know, that's hell. And maybe that's, that's what maybe does. that's what happened when he ran the supposed four three. Maybe he was running lighter. I don't know. Yeah, it didn't matter. That's why Algier didn't run. Like, could he have ran slower? I, I think you're spot on, right, Garrett? That that yeah. There's no gain. There's some risk there, but also I think it goes to show that Algier did exactly what he needed to do at the combine to solidify his draft stock. He didn't increase it. He definitely didn't hurt it. That's just a dumb take. That's somebody who has not watched Tyler Algier play throughout his career. His game is not based on speed. Speed is a, oh, that's nice to have because everything else is great. And for what it's worth, Jamal Williams ran a four, five, nine, and he's figured it out, right? right. right? Like he's, he's figured out how to do it at the next level. Uh, we have a couple of things before we get into what I'm excited about is the, the bulk of our show. A couple of things. First, a plea. I have a plea. We are collectively as BYU fandom paying a lot more attention to recruiting right now. I don't know why. Maybe it's because of the number of like highly rated kids that are visiting Provo. Maybe it's because people are fed up with comments like we're not going to chase stars. Uh, I don't know what it is. But right now it seems like there's more attention on BYU's recruiting efforts than I can remember for any month of March that I've ever covered BYU recruiting. And that's about a decade's worth of marches. Uh, here's the plea. Please keep this level of recruiting hype forever. Recruiting, Matt. Now, this is not like, obviously, if you want the most up-to-date recruiting information, 
subscribe to give them help Brigham, subscribe to cougar sports insider but i'm not even making a plea for myself and my own financial gain here byu fans we have to care about recruiting more we have to if fans aren't there following the players learning who would come to byu learning what competing offers are out there for the lds kid from who knows where United States, if we're not there to hold coaches accountable. Now that's not to say that we're the evaluators. That's not to say that we are the, uh, you know, the, the guys who are having to, to do any of the selling to BYU, but we have to be able to speak to recruiting and have an idea of how much or how little BYU is pursuing certain players in order to, as fans, as boosters, as whatever, have an educated opinion and speak about that when we get that opportunity to do so, whether that be by way of, you know, Cougar club luncheons where you're actually talking to a coach or whether that's bugging the hell out of your local media guy. So that that media guy starts to ask the questions because they know that's what fans want to hear. Fans are, what, what have we said forever? Fans are the thermostat of a program. We set the tone. We don't do a damn thing about, heating up the room, cooling down the room. We don't do anything about the execution of how the, the vents work, whether your heater turns on, whether your air conditioner turns on. That's not fans. That's all coaches and players. We're just the thermostat that say we care at this level, and this is what we feel is the bar, period. That's it. It's all we do. And fans have done that forever. Uh, that's why, you know, in part, I think Bronco left. He felt like fans had set the thermostat too high. And so he left. We've done it forever with wins and losses and conference championships and blah, 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 blah. It's time to do that consistently with recruiting. Please, 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 please do it. That's my rant. That's all I've got on my rant. Anything you'd like to add to my rant? Um, no. Or did I, I think, cover all the rant? I think you, I think you ran it, you ranted well. And it's it really we have to get into pushing, right? We need to push the envelope because I think we've seen, especially not just in football, like watching the tournament this week, right? Like you look at what Houston's doing in basketball, you look at how Texas Tech played against Duke last night. Yeah. Right? There's both sports, there's a long, long way to go to be ready to compete if at what B is coming. If BYU was going was in the Big 12 in 2022. Right. If, if the football team was playing a big 12 schedule this year, I think the offense could hang. I don't think the offense is a juggernaut, but I think the offense could hang. I didn't think the defense would be woefully inefficient and BYU would be fighting to get to bowl eligibility. That's what I think. Basketball, BYU already didn't make the tournament. If BYU was in the big 12 this year, basketball is maybe 500, probably not. Like, it's going to get hard, folks, and talent is the way to, to get around all of that. You've got to have more talent. Uh, somebody told me, uh, and I'll, I don't know, but I'll, I'll provide some context to this comment, but I, somebody told me um, just recently that a, a coach realized how much easier it is to be a great coach when they have great talent. You could be a great coach and you could get talent out of anybody. Like Jerry Sloan was a phenomenal coach for the jazz forever. 
how much better would Jerry Sloan have been if Michael Jordan was on that team, right? Like we're talking multiple championships. Good coaches are only as good as their talent allows them to be. Great coaches, the difference between a great coach and an okay coach, the difference between Nick Saban at Michigan State and Nick Saban at LSU and then Nick Saban at Alabama is the talent of the players that they have on the roster, period. Having said that, we have a use case here. Emmanuel Waller just got an offer last night from BYU. This is, this is a, a very good example of, I think, what I'm talking about here. I had a fan who sent me a message about Manny Waller last October. I had no idea who he was. And he said, hey, and I get a lot of these. I get you know fans or coaches or the players themselves. My, my DMs on Twitter are full of people sending me huddle film, right? Like it, it's nonstop. But I had a fan reach out to me and mention, hey, this kid is LDS. Here's his film. Can you just take a look and, and ask around? or write an article or do something. So we wrote an article at Cougar Sports Insider last October. That was the first anybody had ever heard of Emmanuel Waller. And now Emmanuel Waller is picking up a lot of steam. He's got, you know, six, seven now P5 offers. He's got yeah, a ton of G5 run down, offers. <clears throat> run down the list of offers to, to P. So West Virginia, Wake Forest, UAB, Tulane, Troy, Mississippi State, Memphis, uh, Indiana, Duke, BYU. And more are coming. Like he's in contact with Auburn. He's been in contact with USC. Like the kid's for real. And I firmly believe that BYU fans created the, the pressure that led to the offer yesterday. I really believe that. He came out to campus in October I think he measured a little bit shorter than, than, than what he's listed at. And so BYU's coaching staff, from what Manny had always told me, is they wanted to see more of it. They wanted to see him, whether it be in camp or whatever, right? But BYU fans have created this and pressure. He, of like, he, came out, he came out as a fan. Like, he was just going to go to the Boise State game. Go to the game, yeah. And be sitting there. So the they, wanted, they wanted to see more of him, which I get. I, I totally get that. But fans have looked at this and said, hey, no, like we want this Manny Waller kid. Now, that's not to say that fans always know. Like ultimately, if the coaches decided Manny Waller is not good enough for their program, that's fine. But fans set that thermostat, that pressure of like, you've got to be able to say why he's not. Because if five years from now, Manny Waller's an All-American and he wanted to go to BYU, then we damn well better be able to ask a coach about that and say, what the hell were you doing that you didn't offer this kid? Like that's what fans, that's what the fan pressure does, right? Like that's what it does. It makes coaches responsible for the decisions that they make, period. End of discussion. That's all it is. Well, Manny Waller got offered. I think fans kind of made that happen. And I think he's going to be a very, very good player. Uh, I, and maybe I should clarify. I don't think fans made the offer happen, but I think the fans created the pressure that the coaches had to look again before he came out and, and came to a camp or before they were able to get out to Alabama and see him, the coaches had to look again because the fans wanted this kid. And it was very, very apparent. And after looking again, coaches went, you know what? This guy can play. That's what I think fan pressure could do. So we've got to pay more attention to recruiting because that's what it could do. Now, obviously Manny's he's still got to commit. Hopefully he commits. Hopefully that happens. 
I love the kid. I think he's one of the nicest kids I've ever covered. Great story. Uh, you know, doesn't have a lot. Comes from pretty humble circumstances. I, I think he's going to be a, a, a home run of a story if he comes to BYU. He's the kind of guy who has a deep blue on him one day that we're all like cheering because Manny Waller is part of the BYU family. Yep. And it's and it, you can't uh, you can't also pass up to it's the type of kid that I mean there are not a lot of African American LDS families in the South like this kid he's playing at a high level down in Alabama right it, it's the type of kid that you say you want right it's like oh we'd love to recruit the South more because there's more talent there and it's here's a kid who falls in your lap has multiple P5 offers compared to a lot of the other projects that we've taken in. And he actually knows how to play football already and is not a basketball player that needs to be trained to play football. And he is from an area where fans, you know, we're saying like, Hey, we want to recruit more. There's so much untapped talent there. Like we got to go work for it. Look. And it's the exact type of player that everyone's saying we want, but we didn't have to go look for it. He showed up on his own. Yeah. Big deal. Very big deal. Garrett, this is where I want to get into. It's the off season still. I have four. This is the power rankings episode. Now, I have not power ranked these myself. This is a discussion, an open dialogue that we're going to rank these different lists. But I have four different lists, four different categories, if you will, that we're going to come up with the official give them hell, bring them power rankings for each of these four categories. If this is fun, maybe it's not fun. Maybe this sucks and everybody's going to turn off like that. That's fine. We won't do it again. But if this is fun and people like this, maybe this is something we do, you know, periodically throughout the offseason to to kill the time. Okay. First one. BYU coaches. Now, we got to set some ground rules here. Overall, I, I think the way to view this is our power rankings are the coaches that you would hate to lose the most, right? The coach who sits atop of this power ranking list is the coach you don't want to lose the most. That is the most absolutely invaluable coach on the on the roster now we could you know we could say x's and o's and and divide it up that way we could say recruiting prowess and then divide it up that way all of it right the coach you hate to lose the most is number one on the power rankings so let me rattle off the names for the uninitiated just in case there's somebody who doesn't know we've got kalani stocky head coach lisa tuiaki defensive coordinator aaron roderick offensive coordinator Fessy Satake is the passing game coordinator and wide receivers coach. Ed Lamb, assistant head coach and safeties coach. Daryl Funk, offensive line coach. Preston Hadley, is he officially the DN's coach or is he still like a hybrid coach? I think it says it like edge. Yeah, okay. Edge guy. Kevin Clune, mm-hmm. linebackers coach. Steve Clark, tight ends coach. General Guilford, quarterbacks coach. Harvey Unga, running backs coach. Are there any obvious? On, on either end of this ranking, is there an obvious this is the bottom for you or an obvious this is the top? Um, I, ooh, this is... this Okay, this is, this is hard in a lot of ways because um, at the top, I think you definitely look and you have to say Aaron Roderick for me is at the ooh, top. Ahead of Kalani. Um, yeah, I will. Okay. So I think Kalani is number one, just because the number of 
pos- the hiring pool with a limited amount of growing pains. Yeah. Of bringing in someone who needs to be a first time head coach. Yeah. Is, is very little. Right. So, so it's, there may be somebody out there who long-term is a better coach for BYU than Kalani, but it's going to take you five years to find out. And it's going to be a very painful five years. Yep, so I agree. Kalani is my number one. And so then a rod is interesting because you look at all the reports. Can you look at everything he has done with developing quarterbacks? Every quarterback that has ever played in a game for Roderick has looked fantastic and it's hard, but we have yet to see a rod. He has developed quarterbacks, but his evaluation of like recruiting out the gate is still TBD just because he has not right. Like he had Wilson who was there. Like he brought in Wilson, but everyone thought Wilson was good, right? He was the best quarterback in the state this year, his year, whatever. It was great. But then it's like everyone except for Ty Detmer. Right. Jaron Hall was already in the program, had already signed. So it's like, now coming back and it's like, Hey, if he can go land Jaden Rashada, then it's like, well, holy crap. But it's like, you know, and it's okay. Brought in Jacob Conover four-star LDS kid, right? Like you, you expect to land him. So it's what is his times? Cause right. It was, you know, the QB on the roster that everyone thought like he, who has he got on recruiting pushed hard for uh tracing was in Bourget, but that fluttered he didn't end up coming in he i don't think he even did he even sign anywhere he uh northwestern maybe um, no he went he went small i can't remember where he went northern arizona michigan well, yeah okay west yeah so he signed with western michigan um so byu dropped him for what it's right worth. byu yeah. dropped him and so then it's like brought in kate finnegan right his offer out of high school was north texas then he flipped and went to boise state Obviously, Graham Harrell really liked him, tried to get him GC, got him, you know, reached out to him when he went in the portal. He came over from Boise State, right? So it's we have yet to see a kind of like a recruit that was bona fide, 100% identified by A-Rod, brought in by A-Rod, and then developed by A-Rod. But Fair. So, so the development part of it, or so the identification part of it is still in the air. We don't have any reason not to, to think he's going to screw it up or can't do it, but it hasn't, you know, he has not, he's the quarterback whisperer once they're on campus. A-Rod and, is, A-Rod's my number three. So that said, if and A-Rod I, leaves, how much of a drop-off is there with promoting Fessy Satake to being the offensive coordinator because Fessy is already the passing game coordinator and those two are kind of joined at the hip. I, I agree with that. Fessy's not my number two either. My number two coach now we have to come to a consensus. These are the give them hell Brigham rankings, so we have to agree. My number two is Daryl Funk. Simply because we have seen what happens when BYU has bad offensive line coaches. Agreed. Period. I, I will give you Daryl Funk. And Daryl Funk has done great things at the offensive line. He has continued the, the momentum by Eric Mateos, Ryan Pugh, and Jeff Grimes. And because of that, I believe that while I love Aaron Roderick, I love Bessie Satake, I think they're incredibly bright and talented and have just immensely bright futures. It's all predicated on the work that Daryl Funk does. He's my number two coach. I also have a, a, a bottom coach. My bottom, this might surprise you. My bottom coach, Harvey Unga. I haven't seen who he's brought in. 
like to date, like I, I guess Chris Brooks, but the transfer portal guys are, are tough. Poke Haunga, I think is going to be a star out of Timpio, but we haven't seen a ton of recruiting anything just because of need. And I think he's done a good job with, you know, getting guys like TA ready to go the last couple of years. But I just, I also think we're running backs coaches just in general, the easiest. So replaceable because you've so got a great are, offensive line. Are we doing power ratings in terms of replaceability? That's what it is. The coach you would hate to lose the most is Kalani Sataki. Okay, then Harvey Unger cannot be last on the list. Ooh. Okay. Because there are some members of the defensive staff that I, uh, let's see, in baseball terms, they are, would have a negative war. And yeah. they're wins above replacement. So it's, I'm not going to hate them if I go because I legitimately think that there are dozens of potential hires that could come in and do a better job. So I, it's Harvey is hard. Yes. Running backs coach is the easiest to replace, but Harvey's also, I think an above average running backs coach, given what we've seen him produce in his players. And, and it, it's not just Algier, obviously we leaned heavy on TA this year, but it's like, you know, it's like every running back since he's taken over, there was a noticeable difference from Stewart to Unga in just terms of how hard they're running, whatever. And it, and it obviously ties hand in hand with like what Daryl Funk is doing on the offensive line. And it's you, you have a good offensive line and he, and a halfway athletic running back, anyone's going to look decent. Right. But I think I have to put Preston Hadley at the bottom of the list. Um, and I've, I've got to put him um, at the bottom of the list just because, you know, we've seen, we've read about kind of, the recruiting just isn't there. I know it's, there was a huge, we've got, you know, we did get ice mode. We got, you know, Manny Waller. Um, it seems to be very interested. I think there's a decent chance that he commits. So it seems like they're going out and getting more, but the number of projects, it's just on the field performance, the recruiting off the field is also leaving a lot to be desired. So it's kind of, and it's in, He's in his second year, like he never played on the defensive line, but he, which doesn't necessarily mean anything, right? Like Kalani was a running back and then he became a defensive coordinator. So it doesn't necessarily mean anything. They didn't play there, but it's, he played it as a set in the secondary. He coached in the secondary, then got moved from coaching safeties down to being in the front seven. And so with, as kind of the defensive end of the D line coach, um, you know, dealing with the edge rushers, I just don't think that we've seen anything from Hadley in his current role to make me think that going out and finding a anybody with like a more experienced edge like to focus on that position could come in and do a better job. Like I think he is a he is below average at his position position. And I so I and that's why I put him at the lowest because I if he left, I would not even think twice about it. I can get on board with that. I can I get on board with that because it's I, like, I mean, he's, he's on our staff. He's our guy. And I feel like bad like shitting on him, but it's like, it, it I'm not going to would there's, I don't think there's a single BYU fan that would lose sleep over Preston Hadley, either being pushed out or taking a job at another program. I, I think that's fine. Now I do think that Preston Hadley, I, I am totally fine putting him on the bottom of our GEB power ranking GEHB power rankings right now. But I think Preston Hadley, more than any other coach on this list, has the opportunity to climb 
based on if he lands Hunter Clegg, if he gets in, you know, brings in Manny Waller and then the defensive ends do something this year, like Tyler Batty looks like Tyler Batty. I mean, that, that's the issue with me of why SB at the bottom is like, we're just asking for something. Yeah. If yeah. We're not even saying like, oh, you know, produce an All-American, which A-Rod and, you know, Unga have done, but we're yeah. not saying even like a, what would be an all-conference player. It's like, we literally just want something. I think that's fair. I think that's totally fair. Um, okay, so we'll put him on the bottom. I do think that that he could catapult up this list with some recruiting success. Um, okay, so who who have we got? So we've got Funk, Sataki, Funk, and then Hadley at the bottom. I think we got to go A Rod behind Funk. Okay, I, I think we have to. I, I agree with you that the drop off from from A Rod to Fessy seems like that's probably a, a, a reasonable gap like that's a replaceable gap but uh, until fessy has done it at the d1 level a rod has right right so yep the question is 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 fessy immediately followed or is a rod immediately followed by fessy or do you throw in somebody else because i think i oh i think i'm putting either maybe and steve clark and Gennaro guilford in some order between those two i'm putting gennaro because we've seen just the going in the portal getting kids i think also having a um having a what term a double minority right yeah. coach on staff is very important just because he played here he understands what it's like both as a player and as a coach he can go in and talk to him like look i'm not lds you know, I, I fell out of place, you know, you know, because there was, you know, just being, you know, where it's like freaking snowing in the Alps in Provo. Right. Um, then there's, I think his, what he brings and on top of, he is out there fighting the same way, the offensive staff, like Gennaro is the best recruiter on the defensive staff. And he's puts in the most amount of effort of like going in and finding, you know, getting guys like Rashada and Judy, like going in with guys that was zero ties to BYU and being like, Hey, come play here. Like play for me. Like he, what he has done of creating connections that don't exist. Mm-hmm. I think you have to put Gen- Gennaro after a rod just because he's the, that. he's the best defense. He's the best recruiter on the defensive staff. I'm good um, with that. I'm putting, I'm putting Steve Clark next. Steve Clark is the unsung hero of BYU's recruiting efforts. Smith Snowden is a four-star defensive back. Who does he hear from most? Steve Clark. Gennaro, too. He's hearing from both Gennaro and Steve Clark almost every day. But Steve Clark. Steve Clark is recruiting Jackson Bowers. He's recruiting Walker Lyons. Steve Clark has consistently produced, whether it's he's working with Isaac Rex or he's working with Mason Wake. In 2020, he made Carter Wheat look like a pretty damn good tight end. Steve Clark is BYU's unsung hero. And I will go to my grave saying that he is absolutely crucial to what BYU is doing. I can get on board with that because where we're getting into the areas now where it's like you're splitting hairs and there could be justification made any which way yeah um so who do you gotta you gotta go fessy next because how do you how do you get how do we say we are already saying that fessy is outside of the top half of our power ranking right which feels absurd because i think he's 
maybe one of the, the, the like if you were to take like a long-term future look of like the potential, I think Fessy's at the top of this list. I think so too. Like, I think Fessy legitimately has the potential. Like he's going to be a coordinator someday. I think he has the potential to be a head coach someday. Um, but I also think it's in the situation where like, you know how like he can kind of be, especially since they are related and, um, and well, what they are first cousins, but then grew up in the same house together. So brothers, right. With Fessy and Kalani um, that the, he's kind of like, I think Fessy can be what Brent Venable was to Dabo forever. Ooh, that's a good poll. Where he, like, yes, Venables finally took the job, but it's like he went to Oklahoma. Like, Venables was not messing around with any other job unless it was a top five job. And, and he came from Oklahoma. So there was like even something else there, right? right. Like, I think that's a good poll. A lot and of so, people want to say Fessy is Norm Chow, but I, I think it's more than that. Norm Chow never really had the head coach potential. Like, he just didn't. He just sort of felt like that guy. But everybody viewed Venables as a head coach forever. Right. And yeah. Venables was very loyal and very content with where he was at, given the circumstances. And I, I think agree. that's where Fessy is, where as long as Kalani is at BYU, Fessy is going, I think Fessy's going to be fine there. Right. Yeah, like he, and, you know, it's, I mean, I know he, the, I think he's got a pretty good life and a good setup, going to get a nice raise from being in the Big 12. Like, I think he's very content with where his life is and he's not he's not going to chase a position. Like I don't think Fessy's going to leave to go be promoted to being the coordinator up in Logan. Right? right. Like I agree it, with that. even if they doubled his salary, he probably he's not going to do it. I, think I agree he's, with that. And so I think that's that's part of this is just because I think the risk of him leaving is a lot lower. Um and and I think the risk of A-Rod leaving is pretty low as well, unless it is like, I could see him, you know, if like Blake Anderson gets fired, like if Blake Anderson gets fired and Utah state offers a ride, the head coaching job, he would take it. But I don't think like, you know, if UCLA comes along and offers, you know, everything, everything is different too, because we have to think of, you know, we think of a promotion, right. But now being in the big 12, like the number of schools that would no longer be considered a lateral move, for BYU coaches is very, very low, right? Yeah. Like the, the move, like Jeff Grimes move from BYU to Baylor doesn't happen if it's two years into the future. And it's like going from one big 12 school to another big 12 doesn't do anything for him. This is breaking news. Garrett Emmanuel Lawler or Emmanuel Lawler. <laughs> Emmanuel Waller has committed to BYU five minutes ago. Did you like my breaking news? Do, 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 I do, did. Do, do, do. I did like your breaking news and you did hint at this and did break this news. It was posted on our VIP discord last night. So, it was, well, look, here's the thing I'm about, you know, like I just did the do, 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 do. And the article is now published. Well, it's publishing on Cougar sports insider. I may have had this written for the last 24 hours or so you definitely and so this is you know this is our value right that this is what we're offering and it, you can't steal the kids thunder right and that's no. the worst thing is when it's the big it's the coolest thing everyone would have loved to do it so you can't scoop a kid making their own announcement and there are a lot of dickheads that do that and if you're one of those dickheads you're a dickhead and if you say the word dick on tiktok you know how like the automatic uh uh, what are they called? Captions. Captions that are auto-generated. It's it auto changes dick to like fleshy worm. I think is what it's called, which is 
kind of funny to me. So don't be a fleshy worm, people. Yep. But Emmanuel Waller, that's a big deal. Here's what he said from Dreams to Reality. First and foremost, I would like to thank God for everything he has blessed me with, and I would not be in the position I am without him. I would also like to thank my parents for everything they do for me and for supporting me in everything I do. Mom always made sure I was was where I needed to be on time and was a on me about my grades. Dad always helped tried me, um, helped me in my craft and really set on teaching me to put God first when I'm out there on the field and in everything I do. I'd also like to thank the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for always supporting me in everything I do and really appreciate it. Times when we were struggling and needed assistance, there's always been someone there for me and my family beyond blessed to be a part of this church. I would also like to thank all my coaches for always pushing me to be the best I can be in teaching me. I would like to thank my trainers for keeping me healthy and the relationship I built with them. I would like to thank my friends for supporting me along the way and always encouraging me to keep going. Lastly, I would like to thank all the coaches and teams that have been in contact with me, and I'm thankful for the opportunities I've been presented with. I remember when I was just a little freshman with the dream of playing college football. All the hard, long days of summer practice and training sessions behind the scenes have paid off, and I'm extremely blessed to be in the position I am right now. I would have never thought I would be able to play um, be in the position I am in right now to play college ball. After a lot of prayer and conversations with my family, I've decided to take my academic and athletic talents to BYU. Go Cougs. So a couple things here. One, that was very thorough, much more than like a lot of like, oh, thank my friends and family and moving on. Like he was very specific about a lot of things. That was pretty cool. Secondly, one thing er, that I want to point out is talking to a friend of the Waller family yesterday. The biggest reason that this announcement did not come yesterday is because Waller felt that he, after he committed to the BYU staff, he wanted it quiet because he felt that he owed reaching out to all of the other schools that had offered him and had talked with him to tell them that he was accepting another offer. Okay, He wanted to do it the right way, which in a world of social media, and when you're a 17-year-old kid, 16-year-old kid, it's really easy to just like, you know, I'm going to commit. I'm going to post it. I'll let them find out on Twitter. I don't really care because I'm never going to talk to them again, whatever. But he wanted to reach back and talk to the school at all the schools that had offered him, reached out to the assistant he'd work with and let them personally know. So they didn't find out on social media, which I think is very respectable. And it speaks a lot of just Waller himself and what the kind of kid that he is. I've said for a long time, man, Manny Waller's one of my favorite kids I've ever covered. This dude, uh, He's going to be special. So strongly considering omissions, we may not see him for a little while. That's still a little bit TBD, but uh, the kid can play, man. He's really, really good. Uh, but all of that aside, I he's an incredible kid. And BYU fans, you're going to love him. I've got to know him a little bit over the last six months. He's reached out to me um candidly and and that's been really cool like as as he went through this hey when am i going to get an offer when am i going to get an offer he'd reach out to me and we'd talk through it so he was a little bit vulnerable we talked through some of that stuff and dude he just i i could not be a bigger fan of this kid of of all of the guys i've ever covered i think manny waller might be my favorite one of all of the people right forget players i don't who knows what people are going to do with their careers whatever Manny Waller might be my favorite player that I've ever got to know. Like his story, his it's awesome. And, he, and you could see it in that commitment analysis or uh, commitment announcement. He's thoughtful. Like he is well-spoken and thoughtful. He cares. And he's also a badass football player, but he cares. So I fans are going to love this guy when he gets to Provo. Amen. I, I'm super excited. And I think, yeah, I cannot say enough about him just as a kid. And I think it 
hopefully this is the start of the tides of turning and this is the potential to be probably the best defensive line class right like you get pull in a sarah like pull in hunter clegg you got waller there's a lot there's so much lds talent on the defensive line in this class that if we don't we got to start cleaning up on that and i mean that's really right if you look at utah's bread and butter for the last decade has been in solid like incredible defensive line and consistent play in the trenches and if you look at their roster like three-fourths of their defensive line are return missionaries like they're cleaning up on lds kids who go on missions and come back put in work in the weight room and those should be ours right like that is those should be well obviously we're not going to get all of them but it's we should be in the hunt and the fight for all of those and so back to our coach rankings does this change preston hadley he just landed a we're not allowed to call manny waller a four-star because that's a rivals four star and we're a 24 seven shop here. But uh, does that change your thoughts of Preston Hadley? He's chasing stars a little no. bit. No, ah. because Me neither, I, but. Waller was so interested in coming to BYU. You know, it's what we talked about recruiting, right? We talked about it a few times. It's recruiting is about the Delta, right? Like it's how we talk about like, what is, what is a good recruiter? Was Eric Mateos a great offensive line recruiter at BYU or did he identify talent that was good and was going to come to BYU no matter who the coach was? And it didn't matter if it was Mateos or Grimes or Daryl Funk had to put a little effort into the relationship. They're going to come because they want to be BYU from the start, right? It's, it's the, the guys like Judy, you know, like Gennaro pulling, Judy Gabe Judy from Vanderbilt. That is a big recruiting when it's like, Hey, he's from Charlotte. He doesn't have any ties to the university other than uh, he Dewey gray coached his JV team or some, you know, was an assistant coach on his JV team. And he has no ties to the school other than an assistant coach saying, Hey, go check him out. And then he has multiple other options, but then we build the relationship, get him out there. You know, right or like Tyson Williams, like those are the kind of guys where it's like that is a recruiting win. Yeah, and and I would even say Chris Brooks too. Chris Brooks had no ties to BYU. Like Chris was, Brooks was committed to Wake. Like I get that Wake's not you know they're not Alabama, but he was committed to a P five program. And on signing day, we flipped him. Right, that's it's a like, big deal that we that don't even a, talk about. Right, that is the recruiting win, like getting flipping Lopini Katoa from Oregon State to BYU when he went to American Fork High School. That's not a recruiting win. Right. Like had Bronco offered Peeney out of high school, like if the old coaching staff, Robert and I had offered Katoa out of high school instead of Wayne Tawala Papa, Katoa would have just signed with BYU in the first place. Yeah. And so, so it's, I'm recruiting is all about the Delta. Like what is above your baseline for, you know, what your program can do. So, yeah, like I said, though, with the number, we were talking about a rod and uh, I was talking about Jeff Grimes and saying that, you know, two, if we shifted the timeline two years to where, the 2020 season happens. We're 11 and one, but we're already in the big 12. Well, one, Jeff Grimes is probably not leaving for a lateral OC job. He may be getting a head coaching job, but two, he's not going to take the Baylor job because it's, that's a lateral move, like going in conference to another OC position in conference is like, it's, yeah, well, what is, what do you have to really gain for that? Unless you're dead set on being back in Texas. Right. And so there's being in the big 12, the number of lateral positions, that, you know, there's things that may be considered a lateral position is vastly different. Like you're not going to go, Oh, you know, like, yes, maybe like Fessy. Okay. What well, is Fessy going to go be the offensive coordinator at Washington state? 
be or Oregon State if he gets offered? Is he content being the wide receivers coach at BYU, staying with his family and like close whatever the whole like the total package on and off the field? He's probably going to stay, right? Is A Rod ever going to get picked off? Like you know, we say, oh, he went from BYU, but then you know, Cal offered him more. Is he going to go move to Berkeley? No, A Rod's never going to. A Rod will never leave as a like to go be the OC at a Pac-12 school unless it's like maybe USC. That is the only brand with enough clout to still be a step up because it's one of the top 10 jobs in the country. Fair enough. So I, I we're, we're into the weird spot of this, this power ranking we're in, and we did have a couple more rankings. So we're got, we got four more coaches to go and then we got four coaches and you can really kind of plug and play. Right. Right. I'm going to go, I'm going to surprise some people. So hold on, I'm going to, I got to type out to the side, which, so we still have Kevin Clune, Clune lamb to Yaki. Tuiaki and who did we miss? Harvey. Oh, oh yeah, and Harvey. Okay. So I'm gonna surprise some people, especially people who know me. Uh, I'm going Ed Lamb. Next after Fessy. Next after Fessy. Okay, you better sell me on this one. This is going uh, against our entire brand right here. This is a I, major business pivot. Um. Yeah, because. I don't think BYU, Kevin Clune, I think he's a fine coach. He shouldn't do anything like that. He, he was kind of gone. So I don't know. Like I, I just didn't see it from the linebackers. He did a fine job, but I think BYU has enough talent at the linebacker spot that Kevin Clune is behind Ed Lamp because BYU can always have good players playing linebacker. Um, We've talked about Harvey. I, I think the running backs coach is the least valuable position in, in in all of the coaching staff. I just don't think it it really matters that much. I, you have a good offensive line and you have a good run game scheme. All your all your running backs coach is doing is just making sure the guys hit the right gaps, right? Like it, it just isn't. So I, I put Harvey underneath Lamb, and I put Clune underneath Lamb. And so really it's between Tuiaki and, and, and Lamb. And I think that if, I don't know, I could go either way. I could be talked out of this, but I think that Lamb, I don't know. I think that he is adjusting faster to the new world of Big 12 recruiting. He is trying to get guys like Marcus Radcliffe. He's trying to get guys like Brock Moana. Like there's a lot of guys that I think would have committed to Ed Lamb in the past, but I think that Ed Lamb is recognizing he needs more talent and he is going and trying to get some of that talent. He's trying to flip uh, the, the little the Matiaki Hilu. He's trying to flip him from Utah. Like I, I think that Lamb is adjusting a little bit more quickly than Tuiaki is. And that's hard to say in March because we haven't even gone through an evaluation period. So like maybe camp comes and everything changes. That's very possible. But as things sit today on March 25th, I think I give Lamb the edge over Tuiaki simply because he does seem to be adjusting faster. And on the field, we know what they are. Like those two are tied together. So I can really only base my opinion on how to separate those two. Um, 
from a recruiting standpoint, because on the field, I think they're, you know, two peas in a pot. So if they're they're if they're the same on the field, then I got to look for recruiting. And I think that Atlanta is trying to adjust a little bit faster because of that. I'm saying Ed Lamb and Ed Lamb, like Stan Ross is, is committed. I think he's going to be very, very good. Had multiple P5 offers. Uh, Tuiaki recruited him, but Ed Lamb is the reason Stan Ross is at BYU, not Tuiaki. That, that was Ed. Ed did that. So I think I'm just, I, I've given the edge because of that to Lamb. And I know that that's weird. That's weird for me to say, but that's where I'm at. Okay. I, I think, I mean, the biggest complaint, right, with, that was the recruiting and the amount of projects in the hockey style sub. So if you can justify that and say, you say it's changing, you've seen in the back channels that it's changing. Um, and then I have no reason to disagree. Okay. So, um, so Ed Lamb um, next. So basically the three we have left clone to Yaki Harvey. To Yaki. I mean, simply, uh, well, like I said, I, I think that BYU has enough linebackers in this pipeline and on the roster and, and forever and forever. Uh, Clune could be a great coach. Anybody could come in and, and be successful with that, with that linebacker group. And I just don't value running back coaches maybe as high as I should. So do I you, if, if you're saying, so you think Harvey, Clune is the defensive version of Harvey. Do you, yeah. how much stake do you put into Clune's just overall experience? I give Clune the edge over Harvey because he's got more experience. Does Clune get the edge over Tuiaki because if Tuiaki left, Clune could step in and be the defensive coordinator? Maybe, but it's kind of like a Fessy and A Rod thing, just on a different scale. Until he's been BYU's defensive coordinator, you don't really know what he could be. We know what Tuiaki is. And last year aside, Tuiaki, I think, is better than the average fan gives him credit for. So I'm going to give him the nod. But if he were to leave, they could turn the keys over to Clune and, and maybe Clune takes it to another level. But until that happens, here we are. Okay. So here, so our final rankings, Kalani Sataki, Daryl Funk. Aaron Roderick, Gennaro Guilford, Steve Clark, Fessy Satake, Ed Lamb, Elisa Tuiaki, Kevin Clune, Harvey Unga, Preston Hadley. People are going to think we're nuts with some of these, but I agree with this list wholeheartedly. Well, we can't. It's the offseason. We can't have these cold takes that everyone agrees with. No, no, this is not. This isn't even a hot take. This is the right take. Everybody else is wrong. Yes, uh, we but, did have more, but we we talked through. We had our breaking news. We 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 talked through a lot of this in depth. We're going to go really fast because we teased the Revenant because of your beard. So we're going to go super fast. And this is just you. Leonardo DiCaprio character. So here's the thing. I cannot remember the last time I watched like half of these movies. Oh my word. Well, then I'm going to make the list. Yeah, you need to. That's what I was going to say. You make the list. And okay. Leonardo DiCaprio. We're not, we're not ranking movies. We're talking his performances in these movies. His characters. Here are the, how many do I have here? Eight, nine. Jordan Belfort from Wolf of Wall Street. Jay Gatsby from The Great Gatsby. Frank Abagnale from Catch Me If You Can. Jack, whatever his name was, from Titanic. Dom Cobb from Inception. Billy Costigan from The Departed. Arnie Grape from What's Eating Gilbert Grape. And Hugh Glass from The Revenant. There is no debate in my mind. The number one character that that Leonardo DiCaprio has ever played is Frank Abagnale from Catch Me If You Can. 
So he was phenomenal in that role. Fun fact about Frank Abagnale. Like, so, you know, he made up all his lies or whatever. One of the yep. things that he said he did. And so a lot of his claims, it's like hard to know. It's like, well, are you just making up stuff or whatever? Right. Um, but he, part of his claims uh, was that he was a professor at BYU. Wow. That was, that was something that Frank Abagnale says, but there've been so many lies and it's like, obviously he has a fake identity. How do you prove that he has a fake identity? There's no pictures, whatever. So there's a lot of obviously the stuff that he did, but then he also made up a bunch of other stuff. He embellished his own tales because right. Like if you're a pathological liar making up stuff, then why would yeah, you? Why just, wouldn't you? Right. And so, but that's the fun fact. So we tied that it back. Fun. That's okay, a fun so. fact. Frank Abagnale is my favorite one. Uh, Jordan Belfort is number two. Wolf of Wall Street. If you are sensitive to anything rated R, don't watch it. If you aren't, watch it, love it, talk about it with all your friends. It's a great, great show. Um, number three, I have to go Jack. It's what made Leo Leo. I, it's not my favorite show. I don't love Titanic, but Jack is number three. Number four, not my favorite show, but Arnie Grape was a great character. Like, I think that he probably should have won an Oscar for his performance in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Um, I didn't personally love the show, but I did love what Leo had to do. Number, where are we at? Number five, Jay Gatsby. That show was so damn good. Like, it was weird. It's a weird show. It's hard to follow, but that show was so good. And people, if you haven't seen it or you haven't seen it in a while, go back and watch it and just, just lose yourself in the greatness that is Leonardo DiCaprio's Jay Gatsby. Uh, number six is probably Dom Cobb from Inception. Weird show. And he did a really good job of, of, of making that show make sense. Okay. So after Dom, I'm probably going to go with, uh, with Hugh Glass from The Revenant. Uh, my favorite show on this list is the departed but that is the final spot billy costigan is the lowest rated leo leonardo dicaprio character on my power rankings why while it's my favorite show there were so many other amazing actors a great story a great plot that movie elevated leo in every other one of these roles leo elevated the movie that is why billy costigan is my bottom spot so of these eight movies and there's other great leonardo dicaprio movies of these eight movies frank abagnale takes the cake billy costigan bringing home the bottom of the list and a bunch of great characters in between that is our list and since you had no opinion that is the only list that there will be okay i can i can't really disagree that most of those it's like they're all so good. I mean, those are like his best movies. So it's really your preference about the individual movies. So I can't really argue one way or the other on any of them. Yeah. Yep. 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 I mean, that's really all there is to say. Go watch yeah. The Revenant. Weird movie. You the look Revenant. like you're in The Revenant. Uh, I think there's something that happens with uh, with with Hugh and a bear. I don't want to talk about it any more than that. But if you haven't seen The Revenant, go watch The Revenant. It's kind of a good show. It is a good one. It's a, it's a wild one. It is weird. It is the wild west of Alaska. The Jeff has been a great episode. We will be back next week at a regularly scheduled time because there is no pro day to talk about. And until then, give them hell. Give them hell.